This week on Geeksplained, to celebrate the release of The Batman this week, it's time for another comics catch-up with a twist. So join me as I dive into the comics you should read to get the lowdown on The Riddler, The Penguin, and The Catwoman. Welcome to Batmarch. I'm Vengeance. Welcome back to Geeksplained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and this episode is part one of Bat March. The entire month of March is being dedicated to the Caped Crusader, and for this first episode, we are celebrating the Batman. The Batman is releasing in theaters this week, as of this recording, and to celebrate, we're doing another comics catch-up. That is, of course, where I tell you about all the comics you should check out that inspired the latest film, TV, video game adaptation of your favorite comics. But this time, I'm doing something a little different. You know, usually with these comics catch-ups, I talk about the character. I talk about the narrative. But this time, we're going all in on the villains, baby. We're going to be diving in to comics that I think you should check out if you want to learn a little bit more about the villains that are going to be gracing the silver screen this week. We're talking Edward Nigma. We're talking Oswald Cobblepot. And of course, we're talking Selena Kyle. I got five comics for each character to check out, and I'm very excited to talk about this. But this episode also kicks off the March 2 200. At the end of this month, we will hit 200 episodes of the Geek Explain podcast. I want to say a quick thank you to everyone who has been listening, whether you jumped on uh, over the last four years or whether you were there from the very beginning. But Lots of really cool stuff coming up this week. Lots of really cool stuff coming up in this episode. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I tell you about all the comics you should be picking up this week. But before we get into all of that good stuff, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No film or miscellaneous news this week, so we're going to dive right into TV news. Two pieces of TV news that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, First off, Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol, we know, is coming back for a fourth season on HBO Max. And over the past week, the team behind the critically acclaimed show has announced that they'll be introducing a very special character into this upcoming season. One... Casey Brink. I love this. Casey Brink was more or less the POV character in the Gerard Way era.
era of Doom Patrol. I love Casey. I think she's great. I'm excited for her to come on into this wacky world that they've set up with the uh, Doom Patrol show. And maybe this means we get more Danny the Ambulance, please. And maybe some more Flex Mentallo. I did not get enough Flex Mentallo from last season. So hopefully we get all of that. Very excited about this news. Another piece of news I'm very excited about that builds off of news that we talked about in a previous episode, Marvel Netflix. We're talking about the Defenders. We're talking about Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke K. Iron Fist, and The Punisher all left Netflix earlier this year under mysterious circumstances. Well, now we know the reason, and it's not so mysterious at all. It's because they're coming to Disney+. Plus. Uh, the, the Marvel Netflix shows are going to be dropping on Disney+, Plus on March 16th, alongside some new parental control uh features within the app this is going to allow parents to control or i guess filter the things that their kids can see on disney plus and it is a step in the direction that i think we were all kind of expecting because at a certain point there are characters in the marvel universe there's characters and stories to tell in star wars and all these other adaptations and properties that disney owns that you can't really put up next to moana or encanto so, I think this is good. I think this is going to allow them to put more adult stuff on Disney Plus and make it a more, I guess, well-rounded, if I could say that. Yeah, I could think I could say that. A more well-rounded streaming experience, which I'm sure that's what they're going for. So, I'm excited that there is going to be a place to watch these shows. Some more excited than others. But I am very pleased and hopefully this is gonna allow them to start you know just kind of getting things in here and there gonna start trickling in the netflix the marvel netflix uh influence on the mcu we've got daredevil we've got kingpin let's bring on some jessica jones at the very least jessica jones come on but hopping on over finally to comic book news, five pieces of comic book news to talk about. First off, some unfortunate news, and that is that Human Target is taking a five-month hiatus after issue number six this month, which sucks because <laughs> because I have been loving this book. Every single issue has been either a pick of the week or within the discussion for the pick of the week. And I am bummed that we're not going to get another issue until like September. However, however, I do think this is important because this is going to allow Greg Smallwood, who has been absolutely killing it and making one of the most beautiful comics, if not the most beautiful comic on comic book stands right now, uh, to give this the kind of gravitas and the kind of uh, care that a book like this entails. One thing that I've talked about before, and I need to I need to make sure that I'm staying consistent throughout all of this. Uh, one thing that I have really dinged Batcat on is the sudden shift, the sudden change of artists halfway through, which was really jarring, at least for me. Um, not saying that the art was bad, not at all. Liam Sharp is incredible, but. Um, you know, you sign on for a writer and an artist team sometimes, and when that changes, it changes your perception of the book. And I am glad that they're giving Greg Smallwood enough time to tell the story that he's trying to tell. Uh, we've got six more issues. Tom King has described it as 
Human Target Season 1 and Human Target Season 2, which I think is incredibly smart. Uh, it's it's just, it's all good stuff. So I'm very excited about Human Target coming back, but I'm even more excited that they are being allowed the time to make this as perfect a book as it should be. Uh, we also got, speaking of Tom's, the announcement by Tom Taylor via Twitter that Deceased 3 is coming, or as uh, those of us who lived and saw a bunch of films in the early to mid-2000s would say, DC's 3D. Uh, <laughs> stupid. Um, but that's how it was how it was announced on Twitter. Uh, it's spelled D-E-C-E-A-S 3D. So expect this next installment to be a pop-up book. Uh, very excited about this. Uh, Tom Taylor's also teased that this is the end of the story. The DC's trilogy is going to wrap up here, which I think is perfect. I was kind of of the impression that deceased, uh, the second one, um, Dead Planet was going to be the end because it ends sort of. But I guess they're coming back to wrap this all up. So I'm still excited about this. Love Deceased. Can't wait to see how this wraps up. Uh, and then we also got the announcement that another uh, Aquaman-centric book is coming out. Uh, Aquaman Flash Void Song has been announced for June, uh, being written by the hive mind of Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Vasco Georgiev. And uh, this looks fun. I mean, it's Aquaman, it's Flash you know that's great <laughs> uh, I know that there are uh, some Aquaman fans who are absolutely living right now so I am excited for you uh, probably not a book I'm going to pick up but it is great that we are getting more Aqua books uh, finally with two pieces that I'm very 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 excited about uh, Ant-Man Ant-Man, the 60th anniversary event to celebrate 60 years of the astonishing Ant-Man, is going to be getting a limited series written by the god himself, Al Ewing, with art by Tom Riley. I love Tom Riley. He's been killing it right now in the Thing book. Um, we are getting a big old 60th anniversary, which... I don't know if anybody else felt this way, but the way that it was positive, because it showed the f it showed four Ant-Men. We saw the original Ant-Man. We saw the irredeemable Ant-Man. We saw the Scott Lang Ant-Man. And then we saw a tease for a future Ant-Man, a new Ant-Man. And to me, with maybe just because it's the 60th and all this stuff, I was like, that's a Doctor Who story. <laughs> That's a Doctor Who anniversary event. All the Doctors, all the Ant-Men, here we go. Uh, I'm very excited about this, if you can't tell. Uh, I love Al Ewing, I love Tom Riley, and I am marginally a fan of Ant-Man, so <laughs> I will be picking this up for sure. But I think the biggest comic book news of the week, and serendipitously came out in time for the first episode of Bat March, Batman is getting a brand new creative team, starting with issue 125, which is coming up real quick. Real, real quick. It looks like the uh, Joshua Williamson and Jorge Molina era is not to be a long one, more of a transitional one, in fact, but... I'm pretty excited about this next era because we have Jorge Jimenez returning on art to the book. He was the mad genius behind the art for um, Fear State and 
absolutely knocked it out of the park. But he is going to be teaming up with writing superstar Chip Zdarsky. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Batman the Night was not a one-off Batman story for Chip. Chip has been building up his resume as of late doing this. He did the stint in, uh, what was it? Uh, Batman, what is, what is the title? It's the Urban, Urban Legends? Urban... I think it's Urban Legends. Yeah, Batman Urban Legends. Uh, he's been dealing in that book. He's been steadily readying himself for this. So Chip Zdarsky and Jorge Jimenez are going to be jumping on the new Batman run. And this is really exciting. Chip has now done what very few have in that he has jumped on two of the highest profile books in the big two companies. He's going to be doing Batman and Daredevil at the same time. That is huge. That is a big deal. We don't see this normally. Uh, This is a case that is very few and far in between, and it speaks to Chip as a creator, but it also speaks to his incredible art teams. Uh, Jorge Jimenez on Batman, Marco Cicchetto on Daredevil. This is a great time to be a Batman and Red Batman fan. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, this is a great time to be a Daredevil and a re- and a Black Daredevil fan. Um, I am very excited about this. This is a really cool, uh, really cool news. And I love Chip Zdarsky. I've been loving his work for a very long time. Jorge Jimenez is an absolute psychopath with how great his art is. So this is a match made in heaven. And you'll just have to wait a couple issues because 125 is coming up real quick. But that wraps up this week's news. And speaking of Batman, that is going to roll us right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is part one of Bat March, where I feature a comics catch-up on the villains of the Batman. They say, March is upon us, and with it, a brand new comics catch-up. This time, we're doing something different. I mentioned it at the top of the episode, but we are, instead of going with stories about the hero, we're doing some stories about the villains. And that's villains, plural. Because unless you've been living under a rock, you and I both know that the Batman that releases this week, as of this recording, features not not one, not four, but three of Batman's biggest rogues, the Riddler, the Penguin, and the Catwoman. And so we're diving into some comics that 
you should check out if you want to learn more about these characters. It was very fun to go back and reread some stories, learn and read about new stories, and I am going to be giving you five, count them, five comics per character so you can fill all the time from now till Friday just checking out some awesome comic book stories. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into it. We're Going to kick things off with who seems to be our main antagonist in the story, the Riddler. Edward Nigma has been a thorn in Batman's side for many, many years. And these five stories, I think, give you a full range of Riddler at his most kooky and then also at his most depraved. So let's go ahead and dive into this. First comic I have to talk about here for the Riddler is... Zero Year, from 2013, written by Scott Snyder, with art by Greg Capullo, Danny Miki, and Raphael Albuquerque. Uh, this story took place in Batman, the New 52 variety, uh, issues number 21 through 27, as well as 29 through 33. There was an issue 28 that was more of just like an annual anniversary that had just like nothing to do with anything else, but... If you want to read it, I'm never going to argue with you on reading more comics. But yeah, so 21 through 27 and 29 through 33 are going to be the main crux of the Zero Year story. And the premise behind this is that with this being smack dab in the middle of the uh, Snyder and Capullo run... The team set out to tell the New 52 version of Batman's origin story, taking some clues from year one, taking some clues from other stories throughout Batman's history. They wanted to tell the definitive modern origin of Bruce Wayne's Batman. And I think personally, they did a really freaking good job. Uh, this story, which spans uh, Bruce's dealings with the Red Hood gang to some other not-so-ordinary villains brings us all the way to the to the main villain, the Riddler. His involvement from the beginning of the story to the very end is delightful. We get to see him go from Edward Nigma into the Riddler persona. We get to see him take control of uh, Gotham City and become essentially Batman's first big victory as a... Uh, masked crime fighter so i'm a huge fan of this story and if you want to know more about the story if you want some uh spoiler filled discussion on it you can hop on over to the comics collective i did a little crossover with dallas Anne, and lexi over there they're a wonderful podcast you check them out but we went all in on zero year it was a two-way Batman crossover. They did uh, Zero Year on their podcast. I did Super Heavy on my podcast. So if you haven't checked out the Super Heavy episode yet, go check that out. And if you want to learn more about Zero Year, go check out the Comics Collective. But next on the list here, we have The Riddler Reformed. Now, I know that that's the name of a Batman the Animated Series episode and technically not the name of this story, but I like the alliteration. So we're going to go with Riddler Reform. This took place, it was essentially an era of Riddler comics that took place from 2006 to 2010. And something that's unique about this is most of it was written by one guy. Paul Dini, the master himself, creator of Harley Quinn. 
among others, and one of the best minds when it comes to writing Batman stories, uh, wrote most of this saga with art by Don Kramer and Guillaume March, and it took place in a few different comics, so check this out. In Detective Comics number 822, 828, and 837, as well as Gotham City Sirens, issues 1 through 11 all penned by paul dini all wonderful stories and the premise behind this is that the riddler during infinite crisis right he gets struck by black knight no not that one and he's struck in the head by a mace and he all of a sudden he's sane he's cured of his insanity but retains all of his intellect so what does he decide to do he's going to be a private detective working on the side of the angels and showing up batman in the process all of these stories involve him getting involved with either batman or batman adjacent characters and trying to solve crimes trying to be as heroic as edward nigma can be and it's really interesting. I loved this era for the Riddler because we got to see him outside of his element. We got to see him be just as, you know, quote unquote, world's greatest detective as Batman is. And in some aspects, showing him the hell up. And so we got to see some really interesting moments. We got to see some really interesting stories during this era. Um, there were other uh, appearances by him in Countdown. I believe there was another book that I can't remember off the top of my head that he popped up in. But for the main crux of the story, the main, you know, Riddler getting involved as a hero, the issues that I mentioned before are the ones that you are going to want to check out. Bringing us on over to our third pick for the Riddler, we have Riddled. This is from 1997, written by Chuck Dixon with art by Graham Nolan. And this took place in Detective Comics number 705, 706, and 707. And the premise of this is fun. This is the Riddler at, you know, this weird and fun crossroads of being terrifying and yet absolutely ridiculous this is still uh green jumpsuit purple mask riddler and he the whole premise behind this is that he's pissed off that the clue master has taken his shtick so he has sentenced him to die this features the appearances of two of my favorite dumb obscure batman henchmen uh query and echo um i love them they're dumb and I love them so much. Uh, they are Riddler's henchwomen, and they have a pretty prominent role in this story. Uh, essentially, the crux of this is the Riddler more or less straps a bomb to the Clue Master's chest, only he has the uh, key to disarm it, and so there is a race against time to try and save this villain from another villain. And like I said, we get to see the Riddler be incredibly petty and incredibly just all of the things that you loved about him from the Harley Quinn animated series are featured in here. He's petty, he's vicious, but he's also just a sassy little minx. And I really enjoy this story for all of the different directions it takes the Riddler in. And it has quite the surprising ending, so I won't spoil it for you here, but I think you should absolutely check it out. Next up, we have... Batman Earth One Volume 2 from 2012, written by Jeff Johns with art by Gary Frank, and this was an original graphic novel in the Earth One line that sought to essentially ultimate universe eyes the DC universe. But 
what I really liked about this is that I, cause I loved the first two Batman uh, earth one volumes. The third one was good. I don't think it, measured up as well to the first two but the first two were fantastic especially if you're looking for a younger batman story someone who's a little bit inexperienced who doesn't have it all figured out the opposite of the grant morrison bat god uh depiction and what i really loved about this uh this volume is that we got that modern interpretation of the Riddler that has been popularized by like the Arkham games where it's essentially Riddler is Jigsaw. He sets up, uh, he sets up all these traps where, you know, people have to solve the riddle. If they don't, they die. And the usage of him in the story, I think is really fascinating because in the Arkham games, he's more of like a, Oh, he's a babbling, you know, kooky guy who sets out Riddler trophies and sometimes has death traps, but it's not really a main part. This one is straight up, all jigsaw, all death traps, all the time. And the reason that this is uh, apparent, the reason that he decides to go this route is a really fascinating mystery. So I love me a detective story, and this, out of all three of the volumes, I think is the most detective out of all of them. And I... It's, it's tough because I really love that first volume. I think the second volume might be better. Uh, there's a whole, I'm sure there's a whole debate about it, but I love the development of Batman's rogues gallery. I love the involvement of Harvey and his sister. Uh, there's just a lot of plate spinning that I really love. There's even a little killer croc in there as well. So I would definitely check this out. It's a great look into the pathology of the Riddler, how devastating he can be when he's got, you know, the resources to be, as a, like I said, Jigsaw. And I think there's going to be a lot of story or a lot of influence from both this story as well as Zero Year in the Batman film. So check those out for sure. But the final one that I want to talk about when it comes to the Riddler is a little bit of a uh, of an obscure book. It's been getting some love in recent years, and deservedly so, but it is Dark Knight, Dark City from 1990. It's written by Peter Milligan with art by Kieran Dwyer and took place in Batman number 452 through 454. And this one is a little bit strange because this isn't your run-of-the-mill Riddler story. This is the Riddler at his darkest. This this marked a big change between what we commonly associate the Riddler as to, you know, the vicious serial killer that he is today. And it was interesting because this was a really cool stopgap between the Marv Wolfman and Alan Grant runs of Batman. And this was just a three issue story that provided a little bit of breathing room between those two runs. And it became, I think arguably one of the most incredible, incredible stories of that era. And it also paints the Riddler in a very different light because the Riddler, as we know, is a little bit of a kook. He's a little bit of a knucklehead, even though he's incredibly intelligent. He's always his own worst enemy and always ends up making things worse for himself. But in this, we started to see a different side of the, um, of the, why am I blanking of the Riddler it's who we're talking about right now um 
This one deals with the occult. This story is notable for being one of the first, if not the first, off the top of my head, uh, appearances of Barbatos, who Scott Snyder, Grant Morrison would, you know, co-opt later on. Uh, This is Riddler and the occult versus Batman. Uh, I'm a huge fan of any time Batman has to deal with the occult, whether it's just, you know, crazy cults or whether it's actual supernatural uh, shenanigans and hijinks. I really appreciate stories that pit Batman against that because, of course, he's so realistic, quote unquote. And the fact that this story becomes Batman versus the literal embodiment of the bat, of what has driven him, of wrath, essentially, is fascinating to me. The Riddler basically finds these uh, old teachings from this cult from back in the 1700s and decides, I am going to become a serial killer to bring about the coming of Barbatos. And the places that this story goes, I mean, it's right in the name, Dark Knight, Dark City. It gets incredibly dark, and this is not a kid-friendly book. So I would say if you're looking for a little bit, you know, If you want to walk on the wild side, if you're a little, you know, played out with the wacky Riddler, give this one a look. You will not be disappointed. A wonderful story that is kind of a tough read at times, but it's fascinating to see just the range that the Riddler can play from bumbling Riddle Master to occult serial killer psychopath. So those are the five books for the Riddler. Uh, Zero Year, Riddler Reformed, Riddled, Earth One Volume 2, and Dark Knight Dark City. If I have to pick a favorite, a personal favorite for me, I love Riddler Reformed. It's just that era was just so fun for me as a reader, having, you know, known the Riddler for as long as I had. Um, To see that change up is always really fun, but... Any of those stories are going to be fantastic. I think Earth 1, Volume 2, and Zero Year are going to be the books to read if you want something that's going to give you the same kind of flavor as the Batman film, but I digress. On to the Penguin. Oswald Cobblepot has always been a very interesting character from the uh, more wacky, umbrella-wielding weirdo from the golden silver age stories all the way to the more crime driven uh almost sopranos style portrayal that he's had since probably the early to mid 90s till today um he's a character who there aren't a lot of solid penguin stories so there weren't many that i immediately gravitated towards um or that I could name off the top of my head, I think I had two that I knew about that I wanted to definitely put on this list, which gave me the opportunity to dive in and read some really good Penguin stories. So let's go ahead and dive into this. The first one is a favorite of mine, and it's one of the shortest. Uh, Joker's Asylum Penguin is a one-shot part of the Joker's Asylum series uh, from 2008. It was written by Jason Aaron with art by Jason Pearson. And this is a one-shot that basically deals with the Penguin. All of these uh, Joker's Asylum issues are narrated by the Joker and essentially give his perspective on these villains. And this is one of my favorite Penguin stories of all time because it is fascinating to look at the juxtaposition with the Penguin, right? He is this character who 
posits himself as high society. You know, he owns the Iceberg Lounge. He's always dressed in these ridiculous suits. But he's also incredibly depraved and very shallow and insecure. And this story shows him at his most insecure with him dealing very intensely with people who have either mocked him, wronged him, or even just looked at him the wrong way. There's a page from this story that I'm sure makes its rounds every couple months of one of the best like short form penguin stories that I've ever read. It's this basically the penguin uh, gets the wrong look from somebody and sets out to make this person's a life a living hell. And I absolutely adore it. It's the great um it's the great crossing of Penguin's two sides, his more animalistic side and his more um, highfalutin side, and I really, really adore it. And again, it's just a one-shot, so you can just pop in there and pop out. Next up, we have something that's a little bit different. It's The Penguin Affair from 1990, written by Marv Wolfman and Alan Grant, with art by Mark Bright and Norm Brayfogle. This took place across two different books. First off, Batman issues 448 and 449, as well as Detective Comics number 615. It went 448, Detective 615, then 449. And basically, this this story, which was more or less adapted into the Batman the Animated Series episode, The Mechanic, uh, features the Penguin taking advantage of this super smart technological person who's down on his luck and pitting that person who has the best intentions against the Batman. This is more classic Bronze Age storytelling that doesn't have a whole ton of depth to it. However, it is still a very heartfelt story that goes to show just how really difficult it is to deal with people who are always trying to take advantage of you because there are people out there who will take advantage of your gifts to salt to serve their own means and the way that this wraps up is really cool i'd never read the story before but i really enjoyed it and i think it's a light penguin story that you can read that doesn't involve a whole lot of emotional investment but it's a fun story that gets right to the heart of who penguin is as a character another book that i would recommend for sure in that realm is snow and ice also from 1990 this was written by alan grant with art by norm gray fogel i don't know why his name was so hard to say uh this took place in detective comics number 610 and 611 and the premise of this is the penguin is dead the penguin after after suffering a heart attack while in the prison gym uh is gone he's done and dusted and his last will and testament is to be read before Batman and the High Society of Gotham City. Now, this two-issue story was wonderful. Again, a story that I had never read before, but it, again, strikes at the heart of what makes the Penguin so fascinating because he is this person who is, at his core, a terrible, terrible person. He has lied, he has cheated, he has stolen, he has manipulated, and at the same point, he is he fits right in with the upper elite the high echelon of gotham's 
most wealthy citizens. And so you have to balance, you know, how much of a criminal is he compared to the other, you know, rich people in our society. And so this one is really fun. This deals with the legacy of the Penguin, as well as his immediate effects on not just the criminal underworld, but also the upper society of Gotham. A wonderfully fun story. Just a quick two-parter that I really, really do enjoy that also gave me the introduction to a character who I had never met before called the Cadaver. Who is the Cadaver? You're going to have to read the story to find out. But that brings us to our two big stories. Uh, The first one is Penguin Triumphant from 1992, written by John Ostrander with art by Joe Staten, or Staten, I apologize. This was a one-shot that was released as promotional material for Batman Returns alongside uh, Catwoman Defiant, which, spoiler alert, is not on this list, sorry. But this story is really interesting because this one-shot focused on shifting the Penguin from his, you know, mob boss underworld uh, perspective to a more white-collar style of criminal. Penguin decides to go legit for the first time in his career, though it wouldn't be the last time, and gets involved in stock trading. So what do you get? you get Penguin Wolf of Wall Street. This story I had never read before. I loved reading this because it's such an interesting... I mean, first off, John Ostrander is an incredible, incredible writer, creator of The Suicide Squad, one of the most prolific writers in DC Comics, and he gives an appreciative an appreciation to the penguin, which we've seen him, you know, have before with that very Suicide Squad comic. Um, but having him be involved with the stock exchange, having be, him be involved with the more corrupt legal dealings of uh, of Gotham City and the wider world was really interesting. And it's a story that doesn't go where you expect it to. We've seen these stories in like the Batman the Animated Series where the Penguin, I believe it's the episode's called Birds of a Feather where he tries to go legit. One of the best Penguin stories ever. And this one takes a lot of cues from that. I would have to check on which one came out first, but I would assume they all came around. I I guess this would come out first because the series came out after Batman Returns came out. So this came out first, but you get to see the influence of the story in other Penguin stories with him tre- treading the line between uh, white collar criminal activity and more get your hands dirty kind of criminal activity. A great story that is super underrated and I would definitely recommend it, but The one that I knew I had to put on this list, the one that I think everyone should read, even if you're not familiar or have no real inklings towards the Penguin, is Pain and Prejudice. From 2011, written by Greg Hurwitz with art by Simon Kondransky. Uh, This was a miniseries. This was a five-issue miniseries during the New 52 era where... We got more or less the definitive origin for the Penguin, his rise to power and his dealings with the Batman. And the wonderful thing about this is that all of it is from the Penguin's perspective. So we get to see his version of Batman. We get to see his version of events and we get to see how much his life has been shaped by tragedy and by really poor circumstances. And this book 
was the first time that I really enjoyed the Penguin. The this was the book that I was like, okay, I get it. I get it now. And this is a book that I think is going to have a lot of influence on the version of the Penguin that we see in the Batman. Uh, you can also say that the version from Earth One, which I would recommend as well, uh, the volume volume one of Earth One, I didn't put it on here because it wasn't really a Penguin story. He just ended up being the villain at the end or one of the villains at the end. But I really enjoy his perspective. Uh, you get to see, much like, and I mentioned it before, uh, the Harley Quinn animated show shows the villain's perspective of the heroes, like Jim Gordon and Batman. Seeing the Penguin's perspective on things is really fascinating. And it's one of those books that you don't often think about, but when you read it, you have a ton of fun and a great, great time. So absolutely would recommend this book. Check it out. And check out all these books. I mean... Snow and Ice and uh, The Penguin Affair are two really fun, uh, classic Penguin stories. Uh, Joker's Asylum, Penguin, as well as Pain and Prejudice are a bit darker when it comes to the subject matter of The Penguin, with uh, the Joker's Asylum issue being one of the darkest uh, we've ever seen from The Penguin, in no small part thanks to Incredible Arc by Jason Pearson. And The Penguin Triumphant is a different look at The Penguin that I don't think a lot of people tend to remember so i would check out all of these if i had to name a favorite pain and prejudice pain and prejudice is all the way for me uh it's the definitive penguin story but you will you are spoiled for choice when it comes to good penguin stories on this list which brings us to our final member of this trio catwoman selena kyle the cat has been part of batman's rogues gallery for damn near what is it now almost 80 years over 80 years and it's really interesting to see the different versions of selena throughout the years i have been fascinated by the uh what is it called the re uh reinterpretations of selena kyle she gets to uh reinvent herself uh, through different creative teams over the years to bring her up to, you know, whatever story or whatever role that she has to take. And there are tons of great stories that feature her. Uh, when in Rome is a great one, as well as Hush, but those two are not on this list. Uh, these comics, I think, are comics that not only represent Selena at her best, but also are Great comics that I believe do influence Selena in one way or another. So let's, without further ado, dive into this. First off, Anodyne. Anodyne from 2002, written by Ed Brubaker with art by Darwin Cook and Michael Allred. Uh, this took place in Catwoman's solo series, Catwoman issues one through four. And this was the beginning of the modern version of Catwoman. After another story, which we are going to get to, of course, um, Catwoman was in a prime you know, position to be reinvented for the modern era. And at this point in time, in 2002, we were in a big upheaval for DC Comics, trying to reinvent, trying to change things. The... Basically, the 2000s for DC Comics is quite possibly my favorite era of DC Comics of all time. Um, and this comic is nestles into that very nicely. Uh, Selena being treated more as a cat burglar, being put into the position to 
not only pull off some great heists, but also deal with some of the darker aspects of being a female villain in Gotham City. I thought it was a great reinvention of the character, and it's a version that has stayed true to this day. If you want to know where the modern version of Selina started, it's here. It was defined in this book. Darwin Cook's art is, of course, incredible. Ed Brubaker, one of the best if not, you know, top 10, top 5 of all time when it comes to not just crime comics, but comics in general. I would definitely recommend this. It is a wonderful, wonderful read. Next up, we have Her Sister's Keeper from 1989. This was written by Mindy Newell with art by J.J. Birch. And this was a miniseries. I believe it was four issues. And... Everyone loves to talk about Batman Year One. Year One is a seminal story, get, deserves to get all of the praise that is heaped upon it. Slightly sometimes overrated, but Batman Year One is an incredible story, and one of the best things that it did was, again, give us a reinvention of Selina Kyle. But one criticism that I would have had that was, of course, rectified in stories like Long Halloween and so on and so forth, was that we didn't get much of Selina past a couple panels. Well, her sister's keeper fixes that because Catwoman, her sister's keeper, is Batman Year One from Selena's perspective. That's right. We get to see Catwoman be Catwoman. We get to see Selena Kyle grow from this character living on the streets and, you know, selling her body to being one of the preeminent villains in Batman's rogues gallery. And you get to see the progression. You get to see her with Holly Robinson. You get to see her witness the events of Batman Year One. And you get to see her deal with her own problems. You get to see that just alongside all of the events of that incredible Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli comic, there were other stories. That's what's the best thing about a wider superhero universe is that while this, you know, cool story is happening over here, there's an even cooler story happening just a few blocks away. So I love this story. It is a story that I was unfamiliar with before getting into this, but after reading it, you need to read this. It's wonderful storytelling, and it's a great way to get an introduction to Catwoman. Next up, we have Lonely City. This is the only book that is currently ongoing. Uh, from Started in 2021, it is written and illustrated by Cliff Chang, and it is a Black Label Prestige miniseries. Four prestige-size issues. Two are out currently, and we've got two to go. And this story is really, really cool because this takes, you know, we go from last last story, which was, you know, Selena Kyle at the beginning of her, of her career, to Selena Kyle at the end of her career. This is an older, seasoned, wise, veteran Selena dealing with the death of the Batman and seeking to get her last big score. Uh, Selena is an incredible character and we get to see her not in so much a femme fatale role but as that you know Clint Eastwood uh Logan style like out for the last you know the last duel at the okay corral kind of story uh the first two issues have been incredible Cliff Chang's art is chef's kiss where are my paper girls fans at uh and Cliff knows how to tell it a compelling story. It's been so good so far. Uh, pick up the first two issues. Two issues are still to come. So this is a story that you could be reading 
right now. Go check it out. Next up, we have Relentless. This is from 2003, and this more or less capped off the Ed Brubaker run of Catwoman, uh, written by Ed Brubaker, art by Cameron Stewart, took place in Catwoman number 12 through 16. And this one, I mean, the Catwoman series continued on after this, but personally, I think it kind of went downhill after this. This was the climax, the culmination of this new reinvention for the modern day of Selena Kyle, and it pit her against Black Mask. One of my favorite Batman villains. I did an entire episode on him. Go check it out. I absolutely love any time that Selena has to go up against other Batman rogues, whether it's Hush, whether it's Penguin, whether it's Joker, whether it's Riddler, anytime that she gets to contrast with other characters in the Batman rogues gallery, it's always fascinating because she walks that line of being a Bat family member and being a Bat rogue. And so this one puts her squarely in the sights of Black Mask, who is determined to burn her and everything she loves to the ground. It was a great culmination of the series. I absolutely adore it. Again, the Ed Brubaker run of Catwoman is unmatched. There has not been a better Catwoman run since then. Uh, There have been good runs, don't get me wrong. I personally really enjoyed the first, uh, I would say first arc or two of the Joelle Jones run, but... This one, for sure, is the gold standard for Catwoman runs. And it all began and was kicked off by our last choice, which is, of course, Selena's Big Score. From 2002, written and illustrated by Darwin Cook, this was a one-shot. It's not part of the Ed Brubaker series. I know people like to think that. It's not. It was... A one-shot that was then expanded upon into the Ed Brubaker Darwin Cook series. I just want to make that clear because I've had some people, you know, spread some misinformation. I want to make sure we are telling the truth on this podcast. But Selena's Big Score is a heist. It is not just a heist. It is the heist. Batman has always been the lead, but in this one, we kick Batman to the curb. It is all about Selina. What I love so much, because you know how much I love heist stories. I did an entire episode, uh, an entire pitch it, ripping off Selina's big score for Boomer's big score by Captain Boomerang story that you can also go check out, episode 175, one of my favorite episodes. Uh, Selena, we get to see deal with the criminal underworld. We get to see the harsh realities of being a thief. Uh, we also get to see her interact with characters like Slam Bradley, which I love. Anytime that uh, Darwin Cook, any opportunity that Darwin Cook gets to inject classic pulp heroes and or anti-heroes into his stories he takes it and this story is no different i love the pulp aspect that is used in here the noir uh sensibilities that darwin cook brings to almost every uh story that he writes and selena here is a dynamo she is a hurricane and she is this character who while she is absolutely presented in her, you know, classic femme fatale uh, manner, is also fallible. She's also struggling. She has pathos. She has all of these great qualities that you love to see in your heroes and in your anti-heroes. And if any story has ever represented the duality of 
Selena Kyle in both her hero and villain personas, this story is the one. But all of these stories for Catwoman, we're talking every single one on here is a story that you can really sink your teeth and your paws into. Uh, Her Sister's Keeper and Lonely City are two really good uh, flips of a coin for the beginning and the end of this of her story. Uh, Anodyne and Relentless are incredible. Ed Brubaker at the height of his power telling the story of Selena Kyle with incredible art by Darwin Cook and uh, Cameron Stewart. But for me, my personal favorite, it's got to be Selena's big score. I love this story. It's my favorite Catwoman story. Anytime someone wants a good heist comic or just a good Catwoman comic, that's the one I always point them to. But you can't go wrong with any of these. And you can't go wrong with any of these stories for any of these villains. I know I personally am very, very excited to see Riddler, Penguin, and Catwoman in this upcoming Batman film. And getting to reread and for some of these comics, read for the first time the stories that were featured in this episode to prep for that, uh, for this film that is coming out. I'm just so excited. I'm so excited to see these new interpretations. I'm very excited to see Paul Dano's Riddler. Colin Farrell's just incredible, incredible penguin that doesn't even look like him. And of course, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. I am very excited to see all three of these villains on the silver screen laying siege to Gotham City. But they better wrap up their business during the daytime because if they try to commit some crimes at night, they'll find something in the way it's batman you you know it's batman's gonna be you get it welcome back to this week's comics countdown for the week of march 2nd 2022 this is the segment of our show where i talk about the comics that i think you should be picking up this week whether it's at your local comic book shop on comiXology or however Ever you pick up your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we've got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, no question, Human Target number five, written by Tom King, art by Greg Smallwood, ran away, ran away with the vote for me. I was not sure about this issue when it started. I got very lost, but that issue took me on a ride. And by the end of the issue, I was... This is one of the greatest books that DC's been putting out. I love this book, and now with the book going on hiatus after next issue, now is the perfect time to catch up on it. Go read this book. But that's last week. This week, we got 14, count them, 14 books for you to check out. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopses alongside my synopses voices. Let's count these books down. First up, we have a doubleheader, a two-parter. First off, War for Earth 3, number one. This is written by Dennis Hopeless and Robbie Thompson with art by Steve Pugh, Dexter Soy, and Brent Peoples. Brent Peoples! Uh, this is the big uh, crime syndicate, Titans Academy, Suicide Squad crossover. Uh, this is going to be a big one, or at least it's trying to be. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The War for Earth 3 Part 1. 
the Teen Titans, the Flash, and the Suicide Squad all collide on Earth-3, home of the evil crime syndicate, on the hunt for former Task Force X mastermind Amanda Waller. As Waller tries to take over the alternate Earth and dethrone evil versions of Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and other heroes that rule it, her former partner Rick Flagg arrives on Earth 3 bent on making Waller pay for her crimes. While the Titans and Flash hunt for a missing Academy student they believe was kidnapped by Waller to form her mysterious Justice Squad. So yeah, I guess it's the Flash too. Uh, this is a big old crossover, so this should be interesting. And it continues in Suicide Squad number 13. This is written by, again, Dennis Hopeless, Robbie Thompson, with art by Eduardo Panzica and Dexter Soy. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis for this one. The War for Earth 3 Part 2. As the war for Earth-3 begins to rage, Rick Flagg's new squad, including Cheetah, Mirror Master, Peacemaker, and a parademon of Apocalypse, confronts Waller with a mission to bring her home and stand trial for her crimes. But Waller didn't go to Earth-3 alone, and now the squad must face its predecessors, including the deadly Talon, Match, a clone of Superboy, and the Justice Squad's newest member from Teen Titans Academy. So yeah, big old conflict. This is going to be interesting. Next up, we have Devil's Reign, Spider-Man, number one. This is also old double header for Devil's Reign tie-ins. Uh, this is written by Anthony Piper with art by Zay Carlos. And this one's going to be interesting. Ben Riley has been dealing with a lot over in Spider-Man Beyond, but over in Devil's Reign, he is the main Spider-Man for this event. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The events of Devil's Reign have put Spidey in an awful position. As if that weren't enough, the newly returned Rose has Spidey in his crosshairs and wants to prove that he's badder than his dad Kingpin ever was. So yeah, uh, this is more or less, you know, building upon not just the Spider-Man stuff, but also the whole deal with Butch, who is Kingpin's son, who has recently been named the new Kingpin. Uh, it's fascinating, and it's going to be really interesting to see these two legacy characters duke it out. Next up, we have Devil's Reign X-Men, number two. Let me pull this up here. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Phil Noto. And I really liked the implications of the first uh, Devil's Reign X-Men. Emma Frost has got some secrets, and it might just put the public perception of the X-Men in danger. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Truth and Consequences deals with the devil. Turns out attending Hellfire Club soirees was not the naughtiest thing Emma Frost was up to in the time before she joined the X-Men, and the dirty deeds she did for Wilson Fisk are coming back to haunt her. Yeah, Emma Frost has always been a really interesting character who walks the line between a lot of the terrible things that I talked about earlier with the Penguin. I never thought I was going to compare the Penguin to Emma Frost, but here we are. Uh, so this is going to be really interesting to see what kind of skeletons she has in her closet. 
Next up, we have Captain America Iron Man number four. This is written by Derek Landy with art by Angel Unzueta. And this one's been fun. This one has been not exactly the book I expected it to be, but I have been enjoying this. I've been enjoying the ramifications of the the 52 initiative of some stuff with secret empire. So this is really, really cool. And I like that they are building upon the continuity and the history that these two have recently gone through. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Secrets, lies, and sinister motivations. Tony and Steve must form an uneasy alliance with their treacherous enemies in order to survive an assault by a swarm of Myrbidon-class killer robots. As the Paladins, the team of eager new superheroes, find themselves in way over their heads when they go up against the Overseer. Long live the new tech. So yeah. Lots of plates spinning. This is going to be a fun one. Next up, we have X-Men number nine, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Carlos Villa. And this cover is terrifying. Uh, It's got all of the Orcus members on Krakoa in the Quiet Council. This is going to be interesting. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Rule of Three. The Quiet Council of Krakoa. The Great Ring of Arako, the central column of Orcus. Three ruling bodies, all about to make vital decisions that will affect their people for years to come. And the X-Men are caught in the crossfire. So yeah, this sounds like it's going to be a big deal and a big uh, motion towards what we're going to be seeing for these X-Titles as we go forward. So make sure you don't miss this one. Another... Uh, technically Devil's Reign tie-in. We've got Daredevil Woman Without Fear number three. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Raphael Delator. I've been loving this. I have loved Elektra versus Craven. It's been a great little back and forth battle between the two of them, and I can't wait to see how it ends. Maybe? I think this is the last one, but we'll see. We'll see. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Electra is forced to make a fateful decision. She's sworn a vow to never take a life as long as she wears the daredevil cowl. But battered, bruised, and with her back to the wall, will she be strong enough to keep it? If she is, will she be strong enough to survive the consequences of mercy? So yeah, the big crux of Electra's time as Daredevil is giving up her killing ways to be non-lethal like Matt Murdock. And this is going to push her to the limit. Cannot wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Batman number 121, written by Joshua Williamson and Carl Kirsch. Kirschel? Hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, with art by Jorge Molina and Mikhail Janine. And this one uh, is going to, I think, wrap up the uh, Abyss. Yes, so this is going to be the finale of the Abyss run. Uh, Then we're going to get three more issues of the Williamson-Molina era, and then we dive right into that Zadarsky-Jimenez era. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here and see how this all shakes out. The Abyss finale slash They Make Great Pets. Part 3. The deadly conclusion to the Abyss arc as Lex Luthor's dangerous master plan for Batman Incorporated is revealed, and an old ally returns to pull the lost Batman out of Abyss's darkness, and a new member 
of Batman Incorporated rises. In the final chapter of They Make Great Pets, Maps finds the missing piece to the shocking and deadly mystery with a little help from Batman. Yeah. Tells you everything you need to know. Very excited to see how this all shakes out. Next up, we have She-Hulk number two. This is written by Rainbow Roll with art by Roge Antonio. I loved that first issue. I absolutely loved that first issue. I want to give a quick shout to Leland over at House of Secrets for basically placing that in my pull list and saying, you're going to like this. I didn't know how it was going to feel fell in love with the book from the get. Very excited to read this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. One of the most dangerous things in the Marvel U lands in Jen Walter's lap, and she's got to figure out what the heck to do with it. And that's all while putting her life and career back together. Tells you everything you need to know. There's some danger afoot, so very excited to pick this book up. Next up, we have Dark Knights of Steel number five, written by Tom Taylor with art by Yasmin Putri. Uh, this book's been great. Really, really excited to see where this goes. The art has been stellar. The writing has been fantastic. I love the fantasy aspect put on this. And there is a storm a-brewing as we go along here. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Lost Souls. Betrayals and assassinations have brought the world to the brink of war. As the kingdom of Storm and Themyscira prepare for invasion, the L family is reunited at last to mourn their father. But what secrets does Bruce Wayne have that could prove vital to the future of the land? Yeah, this is your stopgap before all of the gigantic war game of thrones style conflict that we're gonna see i'm sure is coming so pick this up for sure next up a brand new number one this is strange number one this is written by jed mckay with art by marcella ferreira and this is clea strange stepping into the role of sorcerer supreme uh with the death of dr strange earlier this year uh clea has now assumed the mantle, and she is going to do some stuff. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. A new Sorcerer Supreme rises. Doctor Strange is dead, and a new Sorcerer Supreme has taken the title, or should we say, Sorceress. Haunted by her recently returned memories, Clea longs to bring Stephen Strange back from the dead. But when a mysterious group attacks the magical realm, Clea must rise to the duties of Sorcerer Supreme. For now she is the sole protector of Earth against magical threats. Cannot wait to pick this up. Really, really adored Death of Doctor Strange. And one of the best parts of that was Strange restoring her memories of their relationship. So now Clea Strange steps up and she is going to be one hell of a Sorcerer Supreme. Next up, we have Batman Killing Time number one. Another number one. This is number one of six. Uh, written by Tom King with art by David Marquez. And this is a book that I left off of the uh, list for the comics catch-up because this is a book that we could talk about here. And it's a book that you can pick up right now after reading all of those other books. Because this is 
very blatantly, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Batman tie-in book. This is the book that DC has put out that's like, oh, hey, you know, you like Batman? Here's a Batman book. You want to see the Penguin, Riddler, and Cowwoman? They're in this book. You want to see a Batmobile? We got a car on the cover. So, okay, maybe that last one was a stretch. But if you are going to do a blatant cash grab for a book, put on two incredible creators in Tom King and Dave Marquez to tell a fun year two Batman story. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Chapter 1. You Shouldn't Have. Three villains, one dark night, and a deadly heist gone wrong. Catwoman, the Riddler, and the Penguin join forces to pull off the greatest robbery in the history of Gotham City. And their prize? A mysterious and priceless artifact in the secret possession of Bruce Wayne. But, as the events unfold, what fun is a heist without a bloody double-cross or two? So you know me, you know I'm going to pick this up. I love heists. I am going to be checking this out. But the big two books of the week, the books I think you should absolutely be picking up, are first, The Amazing Spider-Man number 91. This is written by Kelly Thompson with art by Sarah Pacelli and Fran Galan. And we are in the endgame. We've got two issues left of the Beyond Era and... Something is a brewing. Something wicked this way comes. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Beyond, chapter 17. Beyond nears its end. What is behind door Z? Ben makes his way to the same place Miles Morales was last at, and he is nowhere to be found. Just door after door of true horrors. Any door's resident could kill Spider-Man, but door Z's might just destroy the whole city. So yeah, we've been building up this whole, you know, supervillain factory that Beyond has been setting up in Staten Island, and we are going to see what lurks inside the supervillain factory. Cannot wait to pick this up. And the other big book of the week is Detective Comics number 1055. This is written by Mariko Tamaki and Matthew Rosenberg with art by Amanke Noelpan, as well as Fernando Blanco. And Shadows of the Bat continues, baby! We have started Act 3, and House of Gotham has also been crushing it. I'm very excited. This has been one incredible story so far. And I cannot wait to pick this book up. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Tower. Part 9 slash House of Gotham, Chapter 9. The Tower Under Siege. With their grand scheme crumbling around them, Dr. Ware and the mysterious Dr. Ocean have lost control of Arkham Tower to the patients it houses, who just so happen to be some of the most violent, murderous villains Gotham City has ever seen. The Bat family on the inside are in shambles. Huntress is wounded, Nightwing is carrying 175 pounds of smarmy jerk on his shoulder, and Dr. Meridian is incapacitated. Who's left to save the civilian hostages from this nightmare? Hmm, wasn't there a patient who thought she was Harley Quinn? 
Then, in House of Gotham Part 9, the boy is growing up and growing into the man that Gotham City has made him. Throughout the trauma of his time with the Penguin to the terror wrought by Azrael, a new mission springs to mind for this lost son of Gotham. Murder. I love how that ends. Murder. But, yes, uh, Detective Comics under Mariko Tamaki has been incredible. Been loving it. Pick this book up. But that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap all of these books, uh, we've got Warfare 3, number 1, Suicide Squad, number 13, Devil's Reign, Spider-Man, number 1, Devil's Reign, X-Men, number 2, Captain America, Iron Man, number 4, X-Men, number 9, Daredevil, Woman Without Fear, number 3, Batman, number 121, She-Hulk, number 2, Dark Knights of Steel, number 5, Strange, number 1, Batman Killing Time, number 1, the Amazing Spider-Man number 91, and Detective Comics number 1055. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Explain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really do help me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises a our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write whatever you'd like and have me say as many stupid things as you would like. If you give me that five-star rating, I will be forced to read it on here. And you will join the likes of our Dirty Dozen. That includes Seafire Endy, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A-Lock and AZ, and Sass. I want to say a huge thank you to all of these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geek Explain mailbag, if you have a question for me, you have uh, maybe want to see my opinions on something, maybe you want a quick pitch, or maybe you want some recommendations for stuff we haven't covered on the podcast yet, send me emails. If you want to pick my brain, if you want to ask about comics, send me emails. I do read them. I read everything you all send me. I really do appreciate it. Uh, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com uh, and just put mailbag in the subject header. I will read it on here. I love hearing from you. Uh, we're heading into a pretty two pretty big milestones for the podcast, so I am very thankful for each and every one of you who decides to listen to me every single week. And finally, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. That's at Geeksplained, P-O-D. Um, there's a lot to talk about. This year is going to be huge for geek culture, so uh, we're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff. I also put out announcements for episodes, for guests, for uh, big old crossover events, so check that out. Make sure you follow us. really does help me out. I really appreciate it from you. One last plug as well. 
If you are not already familiar with us, we have a book club as well. Every single Friday, I, alongside my amazing friends, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. We are in year two of the Geek Explained book club, and I have had a ton of fun so far. Year one was Invincible. Go back and check that out. We went through the entire series, had a ton of fun, and this time, we are having just as much fun in Earth 1610. So go check that out. Every single Friday, we're going to be diving into volume nine this week, uh, entitled Ultimate Six. We're dealing with the Ultimate Sinister Six, so check that out this Friday. Spidey Fridays are the place to be. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. That's going to do it for part one of Bat March. Uh, big stuff ahead for the podcast. And next week, part two of Bat March is also our four year anniversary. We have been going strong since 2018. I am very, very excited to share our four year anniversary show, which is my personal. Putting it down, my top five Batman comics of all time. Bar none, definitive. We're going to be talking about my favorite Batman comics. Tune in next week for that anniversary show. Cannot wait to share that with you. But until then, thank you very much for listening. Uh, for Geek Explain, I'm Eric Azana. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Happy Bat March! Thank you.